Hey, it's Jay from Rhythm of Fear, and you're watching CMS TV. For a guy like Michael Monroe, who's been famous pretty much his whole adult life, is it possible that he put out a release that none of us heard of? Well, we'll find out next when we talk about the band he was in called Demolition 23, right here on Chris Aiken Presents. presents and i of course am chris aiken and wow it's not that often that i get to talk to some true legends of the game but this guy true legend of the game you certainly know him from hanoi rocks you certainly know him from not faking it and a, a dozen other albums i believe solo stuff and surprisingly at least to me was that there was this one record that was out and went out of print and might be the best of them all the project was called demolition 23 and here to talk all about it and its its reissue is the man himself, Mr. Michael Monroe. Michael, how are you, man? I'm good. Thank you. It's nice to be here. How are you yeah. doing yourself? Good, man. Very good. It's great to talk to you. Now, Michael, I, I'm going to admit this right off the bat. I never knew of this release, and I'm a fan. I'm 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 oh. absolutely a fan of what you do. I I love, you know, like everybody else. I love not faking it, but I followed along even after not faking it. I never knew of this one. So how, yeah. I, I guess maybe that's a good place to start is how did this project sneak by not only me, but I think a lot of people. Well, I, I had a worldwide deal with Polygram records, which I, um, I got offered before this album. Uh, I had a project that turned into a bit of a disaster and uh, it was uh, that cost a lot. And uh, as a result, I had to get off the big label and, uh, I, I wanted to use Little Steven as a producer for that record before, and uh, the label wouldn't agree with that. So uh, once I got off the label, I was free to do what I wanted, but okay. it wasn't with big visibility. So I didn't have a label. And uh, we just, after I got dropped off the, uh, my deal with Polygram Records, I got I called Little Steven and uh, said, uh, now we can, I'm free. Now we can make the album I always wanted to make. And uh, we've been writing some songs and then we started actively writing and putting the band together. And uh, uh, <clears throat> Stephen was uh, a dear friend of mine uh, since I moved to New York uh, from from um, London starting 1985. Right. I, was, me and I was living with Steve, Bader, Steve Bader's from the Dead Boys, Lost in the Church in, um, in London. And uh, St Stephen was making the, he, was, he came over to produce uh, the Lost in the Church and uh, then uh, I had been a fan of Stevens because of the Voice of America album, and we became friends. And he had me and Steve sing backing vocals on the Sun City project, and we came over to New York to do the the video for Sun City, and that's when I decided to move to New York. So Steve okay. was there, yeah. So he was always supportive of my solo career and stuff. And 
so then we started working on getting a band together for the, the Demolition 23, which was originally supposed to be my solo album. But then uh, Stephen always thought the band should have a name. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, I could give it one more shot, but you know, come up with a cooler name than and cool, a cool enough name for a band was sure. kind of hard at the time already. And Hanoi Rocks was such a cool name. <laughs> uh, hard to think of a better one. But then uh, in the recording process, Sammy Alpha came out with Demolition 23. It was from William Burroughs' book. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, that's that's good enough, you know. So then I thought I'd give you one more shot to have a band with a name. And uh, we had put together the band. We, we tried out a few few people. And then we ended up with Jimmy Clark. I mean, Sammy Alpha was already my pal in uh, in uh, New York. And uh, he was going to be the bass player. But then we found Jay Henning on guitar and Jimmy Clark on drums. and. Uh, we did some shows, and um, at the end of 1993, uh, me and Steven arranged this, uh, we're trying to like create a scene in New York, because there wasn't much happening at the time. Sure. Uh, the Grand Club, we had uh, uh, Monday nights at the Grand, Glam, Trash, Punk, Michael Monroe and Friends. Uh, we had this uh, evening of uh, showing uh, a bunch of videos uh, on, uh, like, uh, till about midnight, we had videos of, like, it, MC5 began the Stooges, Alice Cooper Band, the Ramones, the Dead Boys, the Damned, Sex Crystal, sure. Class, Mutt the Hoople Faces, uh, you, know, you know, that kind of stuff. And then midnight, we hit the stage with the band and we played, you know, our favorite punk covers. And uh, we always had a guest. Uh, uh, every every night was a surprise guest. First night, we had Joy Ramone come up and we played three songs of the Ramones. I think it was Blitzkrieg Bop, the Wanna Be Sedated, Nasheen is a punk rocker. We had Ian Hunter come up one night. We did uh, Once Bitten, Twice Shy and uh, uh, probably Martha Hoople stuff, uh, uh, Roll Away the Stone and all the young dudes, of course. And then, uh, you know, Corey Clark would come up. Sebastian Bach was there many Mondays. Sure. Let's do some Hanoi, dude. Come on, dude. Let's do some Hanoi. <laughs> and then uh, Walter Liu from the Harp, from Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. And, um, you know, a bunch of people like that. And uh, it was, we kept it going for 10 consecutive weeks uh, and the monday nights were the hottest toughest ones uh, of course in the in of the week to have people come out to a club but we kept that going and then the band was uh established as you know michael monroe and friends and then we went to the studio to do uh, three demos of uh the songs uh hemisphere palais and uh, dysfunctional and uh uh the third one was the scum lives on and then we went into the studio yeah and then we went into the studio at the end of the year in 93 and uh, <laughs> I recorded the album in about in a couple of weeks. It was done. It was, we recorded the basic tracks in three days. I sang it in wow. two days. And <laughs> the production in the uh, I could trust little Stephen being the producer uh, in the capable hands of little Stephen. Uh, I had no worries. It's the best, most fun time I had recording an album. But you know, I did a vocal take. He said, "Okay, do another one." He says, "Okay, that's good. Next one." And I, so right. it went really smoothly. And uh, <clears throat> I remember Jimmy Clark said. He had his the, the snare drum. The skin was busted. It says, "Hey, wait a minute, Stephen. I have I got to change the snare skin." It says, "Don't touch it. It's great. Leave it as it is." <laughs> so he played the whole rest of the album with the with the busted snare snare uh, skin. Uh, yeah, and then, then we mixed the album like one song per day. So in a couple of weeks, the album was done. And uh, wow. uh, so uh, yeah, we did everything right with this album that I had done that went wrong with uh, my last project with Polygram, which was uh, the um, Jerusalem Slim, uh, ill-fated Jerusalem Slim fiasco with Steve Stevens and Michael Wagner producing. Um, Steve Stevens playing guitar, and uh, 
ended up costing close to a million and uh it was my deal so it was like it just turned turning to uh turning turned to crap and uh, i had to uh, get off the label because i owed them so much money that that was ridiculous so uh demons 23 uh, i mean i always prided in making great albums uncompromising good quality records so this was this jerusalem slam was like a big it was a black mark in my on my career i'm thinking that in, in my career i hadn't uh always prided in making great records uh, they released the album which is the worst thing but what are you gonna do therefore i waited about a year till they dropped me and then i called steven hey i'm free now we can make the record. <laughs> now we can make the record where i wanted to make just uh you know the, the label wouldn't they wouldn't let, let steven produce uh if steven would have been the producer of the jerusalem slim project then it would have been fine because he would have done you know kept steve Stevens on the short leash and uh, but having a heavy metal producer like michael wagner with steve Stevens was a bad combination and right. We ended up doing like uh, what was supposed to be two weeks of guitars was like three months of guitar hell in L.A. And, uh, wow. you know, so in any any case, this album at least uh, turned out great. And uh, didn't, it came out on uh, Music for Nations in, in Europe and, and then in Japan. Uh, it was uh, Mercury released it and it did well there. And we toured. We went on tour. Actually, we were supposed to go on tour. When uh, Jay Henning got the guitar player got hit by a car and uh, he was his leg broke and we had to wait for uh, almost a half a year for him to recover and, and then mm. we finally uh, ready to go on tour about two weeks before the start of the tour uh, Jay got arrested in Alphabet City because he was, he was scoring uh, he had a bit of a habit and uh, which he was struggling with so he couldn't get a passport so. Okay. I had Placing with Nasty Suicide, the Hanoi guitar player, at the last minute, and we had like one rehearsal before the London show. We played in the Astoria in London, which was a great show. Me, Sammy Alpha, and Nasty Suicide, first time since Hanoi and Rocks broke up. We, the three of us, were together, and then we played in Finland. Uh, we went to Japan, and uh, then Nasty said he wanted to join the band permanently. So I said, "Okay." I was not going to say no because I was having problems with Jay. Uh, and eventually in 95, Nasty said he was going to quit rock and roll altogether. And uh, once again, I had no guitar player. So uh, oh, great. So then, yeah. So the band uh, kind of, I couldn't find anyone to replace uh, Nasty and uh, Jay had his problems. And uh, so uh, unfortunately the band ended there and I decided to move out of New York at that point. And uh, that was that. So <clears throat> the album was kind of became remained uh, one of the best kept secrets in in rock and roll and uh, uh therefore uh, and also um i mean over the years i mean steven i've been talking about i've been talking with steven uh, you know steven owns the album so uh he should release it and uh, uh now 28 years later i think it was about a year ago or so when we decided to uh he said he's gonna do it and uh i said okay great and uh we re it, it was remastered so it sounds better than before even and uh yeah, uh, then it never came out in the states before, and it was never out on vinyl. So now right. it's on vinyl. We have nice artwork uh, put together with Rich Jones, my guitar player in my current band, that who's, who's done uh, all my four last four albums, last five albums. He's done the artwork and he's uh, great at it. And uh, I dug out some old photos and stuff, and uh, we really make a nice package with a poster and everything. And I went into the studio to remaster it, so it's it sounds even better than before and um, now it's out on cd renew the cd package also 
Cheeky booklet. I, I wrote some liner notes about each song, and uh, and it's got the three demos that we made are as bonus tracks in the okay included in this uh, the the uh, from uh, Baby Monster Studios that we did at the time. So it's a nice package, and it's about time this album came out and it was available because it's been out of print for twenty eight years. Sure. Now, now, how how did Stephen end up owning it? Did he go out and buy it, or was that part of his deal originally, or or do you even know? Uh, I don't really know what happened. Uh, we uh, it was my deal with uh, Mercury Records, and uh, he was uh, you know uh, he was dealing with it, and uh, he negotiated with them, and I just kind of didn't think about it. And I just uh, I just let it go. Uh, yeah. um, I wasn't you know I wasn't concerned about the business. I just wanted to make a great record. So uh, I I didn't get into a negotiating about right. that back then so i just you know because and he was uh you know i was in a situation where i had no support for anybody so uh you know he was uh helping out with that so and he was the producer you know with hanoi rocks when uh bob Ezrin became the producer i remember he was before he even lifted a finger he, he had to be paid in advance of like sixty thousand or something and producers were expensive so Stephen producing the album uh you know uh, we had a couple of hundred thousand i think the budget was uh maybe 250 or something but i figured you know he was the producer and he took, took care of everything so i just i just let it deal with the business so uh sure. he ended up uh having the ownership uh so okay. that's the way it turned out uh, sure You know, Michael. I'm. I mean, just as a as a fan and outsider looking out, it's very odd to me that little Steven and you would be good friends. Not because, <laughs> not not because of any real reason other than you know we we all know little Steven from Bruce Springsteen, and it just doesn't seem like the Bruce Springsteen guys would be crossing paths with the Hanoi Rocks guys. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, so how how did that? You know, did, was it just meeting in New York, or was it? Did he come no, out was, to shows or? It was meeting in uh, in London when he came over to produce Steve Bader's uh, Lost of Many Church. And I was living okay. with Steve. And I was I was in the, the Voice of America album was a big deal for me. I right. was a really, really a big fan of uh, Steven's uh, solo stuff. So, sure. so, of course, I liked Springsteen. It was great. And everybody loves him. And he's, he is great. But Steven was more, his solo stuff was more my, you know, up my alley. Uh, Voice of America album was uh, really uh, important for me uh, and as much as uh, the Lost of the New Church, Steve Bader's, and the whole punk thing was pretty much about telling the truth and and making, you know, writing relevant lyrics that, that you know, uh, meant something and made, 
you know, uh, like the original idea of rock and roll, you know, basically about shaking up the system and telling truths in your face and uh, writing some songs that mean something uh, without being too political, but still like things from the heart that reach people's hearts and move you and make, you know, instead of some superficial crap. So that was, to me, that was really impressive. And uh, then I was living, I had moved in with Steve Bader's when Hanoi was breaking up. We, we, we broke up the, in the beginning of 85 after our drummer had gotten killed and all it. So I moved in with Steve just to save, save, to save with the rent and stuff. And I right. was taking care of Steve's cat anyway. Uh, and I pretty much <laughs> living there and, uh, when he was on tour. And so then we decided to move in. I moved in together with him in Portobello. And uh, that was a really great time. And Steve knew I was a fan of Stevens. And, and Stephen had been at the Lost of New Church gig in... Uh, in New York, and that's therefore he came over. He wanted to produce them. The song called "Lord's Prayer," that single called "Lord's Prayer," and the B side was uh, "Hey Tonight," uh, Creedence Club cover. So Stephen came over, and uh, they were working on that song. And I was like, "Oh, this Steve was the only friend I had at the time." And then Stephen became my other friend, and I said, "These are all the friends, all the people I need." And Stephen had not heard of uh, Hanoi Rocks, and uh, then Steve showed him a video of like. Boulevard of Broken Dreams, I think, and Stephen flipped over the band. It was like, wow, this is the greatest band he's seen for ages. And, it's like, and then I realized he was he's really a rocker at heart. Okay. He's a rocker. So uh, then we, we became good friends, and Stephen was supportive of my solo career from then on. And uh, therefore, uh, uh, he was uh, he asked me and Steve to sing backing vocals on the Sun City project that he was working on at the time. You remember right. the Sun City song? Yeah. I want to be placed on City. Yeah. <laughs> it was a holiday resort that the bands were going to play there and they got, they made ridiculous amounts of money, like they, the millions, you know, for playing there. But then they were supporting the racist government. And Mandela was in jail and apartheid, apartheid was at its worst. So after this song, this song was uh, saying basically that I ain't going to place in the city. I don't care what you pay. And making people wear so 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 after that song came out uh, and the video came out, no nobody could go and, could go and play there with a clear conscience and say that oh we didn't know what was going on, you know. Right. I was proud to be part of that, making a big statement, and everybody from Bob Dylan to Bob Geldof and Bruce Springsteen and Bono and uh, Miles Davis even played on that song. So being a part of that was I was really proud of it, and uh, and then Stephen had me and sing, Steve. Bader sing back in vocals. Joe Ramon with us was on it too, and all the coolest and the biggest names in in music was were part of that. Ron DMC and uh, and stuff like that. So we came to New York to do the. He, uh, we were flown over to New York to do be a part of the video, and and then uh, uh, then uh, that's when I decided that you know I wanted to move to to New York City and we start start my solo career there. And that's how it started. And then me and Steven became best friends, and he was always supportive of me. He wrote that song while you were looking at me for me, and uh, that's on the Not Faking It album. And yeah, I was singing back in vocals on that too. And we wrote their Jail of Rock and Roll together. Steve, okay, Steven really is a rocker, you know. <laughs> right, definitely. Now, now, um, Michael, um, you know, you're you're putting Demolition Twenty Three out uh, here in the states, you know, for pretty much for the first time, and. You've had, you know, obviously significant success. Where I, I read in the press that you think that this might be the best music that you've written. Do you is is it because of the vibe of the music, or is it just because everything came together at that time and it just feels good, or what what makes it the best for you? 
Well, well, I think this one and not faking it uh, from my old records are mm -hmm. my favorites. These these two are like my favorites from the old stuff. It's just got a great bunch of songs, really great songs like Hammersmith Palais. Um, well, <laughs> it's like Steven said, it's it, it's the greatest song we've ever written, even if we live to be a hundred. It's the greatest okay. thing we've ever done, and it should be a huge hit. And uh, it is a great song, and uh, it's just a great entirety. It was just a very a success in terms of uh, the way it came together, the way it was recorded, and the attitude, and everything is just in place with this record. Uh, it's really, really strong, and uh, and the, the style, and uh, as an entirety, as a as a as a whole, the record is really strong. Uh, it is like you know, like not faking it in its own way. It was like one of the last. 80s records and uh and it still sounds relevant today so mm -hmm. does this one so uh, it was just it's just a great great album uh, uh mind you my past five albums have been um i've gotten great reviews and people were saying that it's the best material of my career the newest one uh, i live too fast to die young especially uh is uh, some of the best stuff i've done i must say myself i'm, I'm happy uh and i still creating good uh, quality relevant stuff uh, as opposed to playing some old old songs from the 80s uh, you know i'd rather be the guy who's, right. who's still making uh, good music today and uh, you know we played seven songs of the new album we played live this this summer we'll be touring on it so it's not like playing one song of making an album as an excuse to go on the road and then playing like stuff from the 80s so uh you know i'm still doing relevant stuff and uh sure. we always have included uh usually the hammersmith play and uh nothing's all right are pretty much always in our set and uh you crucified me we've been playing the two and uh uh actually at my 60th birthday concert uh on uh september 23rd I had Demolition 23 reunion as the support band. Okay. So we played like five songs. We played Nothing's All Right, Dysfunctional, uh, Endangered Species, You Crucified Me, and uh, Hammersmith Palais. Uh, that was like the support band in the set. They had all the faces of my solo career, old solo stuff, and my current band with uh, all the changes of the guitar players with Ginger Wildheart and uh, Dragon and then Rich Jones and all of us too. And uh, <clears throat> the rebirth of hanoi rocks in the 2000s and then the original lineup of hanoi rocks with the the original drummer chip casino which we hadn't played been in the same place together for 40 40 years so wow so yeah that was something special it was great playing the demolition 23 stuff uh, with nasty on guitar and that's suicide uh, so that <clears throat> that was that was cool you know that that i wouldn't mind doing uh if if, if there was a reason or a opportunity or some place that we should that could i could do that again but the hanoi stuff was just a one-off but uh yeah it's just a really strong record and it's still relevant today and now remastered sounds better than before and the thing what happened was steven was shopping the record at, at record labels at the time and they mm -hmm. were saying hey man punk is dead <laughs> <laughs> it ain't, ha ain't happening and uh, this is uh, uh nobody was interested and about a year later you get Green Day and all stuff like that, which was happening, it became a, you know almost a fashion. Right. So I was like, once again, a bit ahead of my time, right place, wrong, wrong time, the right, right. place. Uh, right. 
or the right place at the wrong time, the wrong, the wrong place at the right time. I was the right place at the wrong time, ahead right. of my time again, once again, and uh, slipped kind of in, in, in between the cracks. And uh, that's why you never heard of this album, because we didn't have a major deal in the States. And uh, the labels didn't think, uh, of course, they always, uh, after, after somebody makes it huge and then becomes like a thing again, then they go, oh, yeah, yeah. They could have had this, and this was authentic. <laughs> <laughs> right authentic and it was for real it wasn't even it wasn't like uh okay we're gonna make a punk record it was just the punky attitude has always been a part of me and uh there's on this record is it's it's authentic and it's, it's good rock music and it, it's not not limited to any genre or anything like that sure it definitely is well michael just last last question real quick um you know outside of this record you know you you did put out a, a great record recently where where are you at career wise as, as far as what's coming next? Are you working on new stuff? Are you working to promote the the current solo record or? Yeah, you, we'll we'll well we'll be touring uh we'll be touring on this record for a while. The new album okay. "I Live Too Fast to Die Young." We're still gonna have a couple of videos of it. We we did the there was a lyric video of "Murder the Summer of Love." Then there was uh, "Can't Stop Falling Apart." And uh, everybody's nobody. Those videos came out, and we still got a video coming up for the song "Derelict really Palace" and the title track "I Live Too Fast to Die Young," which features Slash on guitar. I played a guitar solo on it, and we're going to be touring on that record. But there's also a documentary movie that's been in the in the making for two years now, uh, "The Best Kept Secret in Rock and Roll," Michael okay. Rowe, which uh, will come out in the uh, in the end of January now. It looks like, and uh, be working on that. And that's why I was in New York uh, 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 last week is um, uh, to have an interview with little Steven and, uh, uh, and and Ian Hunter. I went to Ian Hunter's house in uh, Connecticut okay. and we were hanging out. And we had some cool stuff uh, from Bob Ezrin to Alice Cooper to uh, a lot of people that are relevant. And a lot of stuff has happened during the filming of it. Uh, a lot of real situations. Uh, it's a very touching scene with my mother, and we're talking about rem rem remembering Razzle, and uh, uh, and then this 60th birthday thing concert and the rebirth. I mean, uh, the uh, reunion of the original Hanoi line lineup, and also going into the studio to uh, uh, remix the second Hanoi Rocks album, Oriental Beat, which was uh, okay. originally it was uh, the, the producer mixed it like crap. It was it was really <laughs> like. I, we we weren't there, and, uh, and when we heard it, it was already pressed onto vinyl, so it was too late to change. So, if I'd known, had I known what I know now, we would have come back and said, "Okay, never, no, no, we got to redo it." But uh, it wasn't recorded too bad, you know. So, and and the, the track, the tapes have been were thought to have been lost when Guns N' Roses re-released. Re they they released our uh, European catalog in the states in the early nineties. Then we thought we were going to remix the album, but we were told by the Finnish label that the tapes were missing, and uh, but it, which wasn't true. I, I relocated them a couple of years ago, and, uh, and then we went into the studio to re to remix it. And now, the longest and slowest project of an album I've ever done, forty years, is <laughs> <laughs> even longer than Chinese Democracy was. Right. 40, forty years until we got the album right, and uh, it's coming out, and uh, it's going to be available in. Uh, November uh, and this year, and uh, you know, this uh, is going to come out on vinyl and CD and and uh, digital as well. So all that has been documented in our movie. Uh, you know, 
lot of stuff like that. A lot of significant stuff has happened. So it's going to be an exceptional movie, not your regular rock and roll movie, you know. Uh, Excellent. Guys going crazy and partying and stuff like that. This is a really interesting story to anybody who's not even into rock and roll or, or me. Uh, that would be an interesting movie for for anybody, I think. So that's coming out the uh, end of January now, it looks like. So Very good, man. Well, lots of good stuff from you, Michael Monroe. Uh, the current release or the, is, tw- is Demolition 23. Make sure you check it out. It's self-titled. It is well worth listening to. I, I love it. It's fantastic. And, uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining me here on Crusade Presents. Thank you. And also, uh, I Live Too Fast to Die Young. My new album is also uh, current. It came out in June. So uh, yes. that's worth checking out as well, as Amen. well as Demolition 23. Amen. Thank you so much. Great seeing All you, man. Right. All right, Michael. All right. Take care, brother. Take care. Bye. What's going on, everybody? It is Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show. And I know a lot of you guys love watching the videos of the Classic Metal Show, but you want it on your TV. Now, there's a number of ways that you can do it, but one of the easiest ways is just to install the Roku channel that we have for the Classic Metal Show. If you go to the Roku store, which is located at Roku.com, and you simply type in Classic Metal Show, you're going to get a page that shows up just like this one. Of course, you're going to need to be logged in, but then all you'll do is you'll click Install right here, and it will install it to your Roku. It's that simple, and then you can get all the episodes every week of the Classic Metal Show, as well as Chris Aiken Presents, and they will be updated as they release. So you'll get new episodes every day. It's just like having a regular channel like like NBC or whatever on your Roku. Now you've got the classic metal show on your Roku. So make sure you get it. Just go to the Roku.com website and do a search in the channel store for classic metal show. And the CMS will be with you all week long. All right, cool. Hail and kill.